G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. Well, Dad, we are, we are lucky enough, as we were last week, to be joined by David Cherry, who listeners of last week's podcast will know how much wisdom David has been able to offer us here on Psych Spiels, and we're very appreciative to have David here again. David, thank you so much for joining us here again on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me back. Great to have you with us again, David. We thought, David, obviously it was great to chat with you last week about all the things that we spoke to you about in terms of habits and installing good habits and, and overcoming bad habits as well. But we thought we'd, we'd even uh, tap into your wisdom one more time, David, if we could, uh, because we've had a bit of a theme in recent weeks on the podcast about screen time. And I know it's something that myself uh, and Dad, I think I can speak for you as well, but personally, uh, over the pandemic, I noticed my screen time, obviously with not as much to do, it increased by quite a, a marked shift. I must admit, on, when you get your Sunday morning notification about your screen time, it was, uh, it was a little bit confronting in there at times. And, and I think that's a, a trend that other people have experienced as well. And I just wonder if you have any tips, David, for if you wanted to decrease your screen time. So um, bear in mind, as you know, well, I'm not medically trained, but I understand that lots and lots of screen time just isn't good for your eyes. So it's not good for you in that way. The second way that lots of screen time isn't good for you is if you're on a screen, probably you're not exercising. So there are two ways that, you know, being on a screen isn't useful to you. And also probably you're not engaging with people face to face, which is much better for us. So in terms of limiting your screen time, I'd always think about screen time or interacting with anything, any object or any person or you know, any device as being part of, of a habit. And so doing all the things that we spoke about last time may help you reduce your screen time. So one thing I definitely wouldn't do, and I discourage people from um, having any screen in their bedroom and certainly try and avoid having their phone next to their bed and seeing it lasting at night. So as Chris, I believe, said towards the end of the last podcast, he talked about how the smartest people in the world are engaged in creating programs so that anything on a small screen is really attractive to us and is really, really interesting. And if you're engaged with the screen lasting at night, I understand, again, I'm not medically trained, but the light from the screen lasting at night is likely to make it hard for you to go to sleep. So that's building in a, another bad habit, okay? So going back to what we were saying last week, if you want to reduce your screen time, I would make a realistic commitment. Say, for example, if you've got to do use the screen for work, I'd make what is a realistic commitment to I'm going to work these X hours and no more where that's possible. Commit to taking breaks. And also using possible visual prompts. We didn't talk about this last week. Auditory prompts are also really useful. So you might decide you're going to move three minutes per hour while you're working on a screen. You might decide, well, look, I'm going to move three minutes per hour, but that's perhaps not enough. I'm going to do it a little more than that. So you set a, a, a timer for every 40 minutes and you're going to walk for, walk for five minutes. So you use a, an auditory prompt or a visual prompt to give yourself a break from the screen time. The other thing I'd say is that what can sometimes happen when people use screens a lot is because many applications are very addictive, it can replace people's social life and they can possibly not quite lose the capacity but lose the interest in socialising. 
So making a commitment to others and with others to spend time where you get the, that opportunity. And some people through COVID haven't had that opportunity to have a different sort of contact. Now, it may be that with the pandemic, people's main contact was via Zoom or over the phone, but phone contact, in my view, is far more desirable because of all sorts of reasons than, than Zoom contact where there's that choice. So making a commitment to reduce it, I think, is important. Anyway, you may have some other comments or questions about that. Well, uh, one of the things that strikes me with that is the amount of time that children spend on screens. And you gave us some very helpful tips last week on ways that parents might influence children's habits. And to take one bit of data, apparently Johan Hari in his book Stolen Focus said that about six times as many kids since the pandemic started spend six hours or more in front of a screen. Now, that sounds like something of a concern. What can parents do to help their children spend less time in front of a screen and maybe more time playing outside? One thing I think is important is that parents need to make it clear that it's their screen <laughs> and to their phone, and this depends upon the, the age of the child, and begin right at the outset with a clear expectation about how much time the child can spend on the screen. So that's important, that the child doesn't believe that it's theirs and that they own it and that they have control over it. Because one thing that one role or task of being a parent is to help children sort of shape their behaviour and not do things that are against their own interests. So the child might decide, well, let's say they're three, this is a really good idea to eat these worms. They look interesting and they feel quite squishy. A parent wouldn't let them do that. They wouldn't let them eat dirt. They wouldn't think, well, they won't do it a second time because they're going to get really sick because they might do it a second time because they don't make the association. In the same way, if a child acting against their own interests and spending lots of time on a screen, rather than deal with the behaviour later, I think it would be useful, for example, for parents to look at the, um, yeah, the Commonwealth government's got suggested guidelines around that, pay attention to those guidelines, and in my view would be probably reduce it by half and not allow the child access to the screen. And it's going to depend upon the age of the child. If you want to be battling with your 72-year-old child, if you happen to be well into your 90s and your child's still living at home, you don't want to be battling with your 72-year-old child about screens. But certainly, you know, with your younger child, three and a half, four through to a middle child years, early adolescence, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say this is the amount of time and this is when you can have access. So being clear about the, the expectations at the outset and being prepared to just have a conversation with the child about why it's important. The other thing that's also really important, I think, is making sure that the child has access and opportunity to different ways, to a variety of ways of interacting, which includes, clearly, face-to-face. -face. Yes, it's helpful certainly mentioning those guidelines, and we'll see that they're up on the episode page as well. Yeah, definitely. And and one thing I wonder as well there, David, too, is that one thing that really stood out to me that, that we spoke about last week, and, and I wonder if it's relevant here too, is, is for example, the idea of maybe replacing a negative behaviour with like a, a positive purpose. Because it, one thing that, that came to mind for me there is I remember when I was a kid, and, and look, I'll, I'll put my hand up, I used screens a little bit as a kid, sort of having a Nintendo 64 that I'm sure mum wanted me to get off at certain times and in fact told me about it, all this sort of stuff and, and fair enough. But, uh, but it, one, it was one thing that stood out for me recently when uh, it was actually when, when Shane Warne died, David, and, and I, I've got so many memories of, 
you know, bowling, leg spin, sort of tennis balls by myself in the backyard sort of thing. And, and one thing I wonder about there that, that you know, I'm, I'm not a parent, so, you know, just excuse me while I wipe the crumbs off my chest. I've got, I've got no idea about some of this sort of stuff. But, but I think, for example, if, if someone is spending time on screens, instead of saying, for example, well, we're just going to take that screen time off you, maybe, I suppose, coupling it with, say, a positive purpose that maybe involves something outside, you know, maybe it's sure. sort of looking at some Shane Warne high Lights and then we'll go out the back and sort of practice the flipper for 20 minutes as well. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay, one thing, David, as well for background is partly where we talked about social media last time was this notion of focusing attention or difficulty maintaining sustained attention, which was the theme of Johan Hari's book, Stolen Focus. And he described how at the start of the pandemic, about four times as many people were Googling the question, how can I get my brain to focus? And so I'm wondering in terms of developing habits, Habits for whether it be monotasking or keeping our attention on something that too much screen use can disrupt. Do you have any tips for developing habits that enable us to sustain attention? So first thing I'd say is, if this is useful, and it may not be useful for everybody, but working in an environment which is relatively uncluttered. So if if you're in an uncluttered environment, at least for some people, your attention is just going to skitter around. So think about what you can see when you're working at the screen. So that's one thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is that my view is, and maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but this is something that people that talk about attention discuss or have researched it, is setting, having a list of things that you're going to work through, making that list relatively sort of simple, making the list achievable, and working through it in an orderly way and thinking about the order in which you're going to work through those things. And sometimes it's easy to begin with the hardest task. Sometimes it's easier to begin with the smallest task, with the easiest task, rather. So for me, if I've got something that's quite hard for me to do and then I've got three or four easier things, I'll often do the easier things and then I'll do the harder things. That sort of develops a sort of a sense of momentum, if you like. The other thing I think is also useful is to take really brief breaks away from something that's quite sort of arduous or time-consuming or whatever, because that brief break can, you know, just refreshes our brain. Also, sometimes coming at things in two passes, or in my case, coming at things in three passes. If I've got in a, put in a proposal for training and I know it's got to be done by Friday, I'll begin on Monday and I'll just do the broad outline then I'll email it to myself and then I'll come back on Tuesday or Wednesday and then I'll refine it. By Friday when I've got to do it, it's seven, eights done. And my brain's also been working on it in the meantime. I think, oh, yeah, I didn't put that in. So those things are important. I think also um, I'm going to you know, make motherhood statements here and this is easy for me to talk about. If everybody has an opportunity or if your listeners have an opportunity to spend time in nature and relieve their brain, that's also incredibly important. And your listeners may be Australia-wide, but I would guess that many of your listeners are Geelong-based. I'm not sure if that's the truth, but if for those people who are Geelong-based, they've got the opportunity to just, you know, go almost anywhere in Geelong and you've got easy access to many, many beautiful places and beautiful parks and all sorts of things. So being in nature is also really, really important. Yeah, look, there's a few more things I can say, but 
but probably to pause there. I like the idea of plantfulness coming across from what you're saying because I was struck by the statistic that apparently the average worker was describing spending about 40% of their time multitasking. It's hard to imagine how that could possibly be efficient and those things you're describing would certainly help get around that. Absolutely. And also I think being, you know, it comes back a little bit to what we spoke about at the start of the last episode in terms of that being intentional idea of, you know, some things that I've seen in terms of, you know, being right down to having a, a really curated morning routine. I think Hal Elrod has his book, uh, My Miracle Morning, uh, which is a, almost a bit of a movement towards sort of, you know, being very planned in, in your morning routine as well. But there's so many great tips in there, David. And I'll just give you a couple more. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, please. Great. Yeah. Okay. Look, one thing I've noticed with a lot of people that I run training with, so recently I just ran two three-hour webinars with the same group of people on helping other people grow and change, okay? And one thing I've noticed is that quite a few of the people that I work with who understandably are involved in um, human services and are involved in helping others, they find it really difficult to not meet a perceived need of the other person or respond to a request, even though it may be unreasonable, they'll turn themselves almost inside out and exhaust themselves knowing they can't meet the need of the other person, okay? But they'll feel guilty and sad and upset, and that prevents them from doing the things that they do, sorry, doing the things that they could possibly do. So having reasonable expectations of yourself, I think, is really, really important. And planning your day in such a way that you can achieve all the things that you would like to achieve reasonably without exhausting yourself, but understanding that you may not get through them and recognising that it's worthwhile putting time into planning to do things efficiently. And one thing, again, that I've noticed with a lot of the people that I provide coaching for is they just want to rush to the end without thinking about how they're going to get to the end. So I always encourage people to think about, well, what's your end goal? And how can you get to that in a way that's reasonably relaxed and is efficient? So one thing I think that's stopping people from being, sorry, that's dragging people's focus away is having unrealistic expectations of how much they can achieve through the course of the day, having unreasonable expectations of how, of the services they can provide and thinking they should be able to do more than they can, even though they know they that they can't. And also people haven't made efficiency a value. So what they say is, I've just got to help this person. I've just got to serve this person. I've just got to provide this service, which is great, but it means they don't provide the service, the best service they could because they're exhausting themselves and they're not making efficiency of value. So you can reduce your own stress and provide a better service, whatever the service is. If you have realistic expectations, you also get the other person to have realistic expectations of you. So we live in a, a world where many people are just going to say, you should do this, you must do this, you ought to give me this now. My response to that is, yeah, that would be really good if I could do this. I would like to do that if that's possible. What is possible is this. Would you like us to work together to achieve that? And people go, oh, yeah, okay, or no. But there's many, many reasons why people's focus has been stolen, and I haven't read that book and I'm looking forward to reading it. But one of my views about why people's focus is stolen it's they're internally stealing many people are internally stealing it from themselves by looking inward and say i should do more does that make sense what i'm saying yes it does and one thing that strikes me is we often hear these days of the term 
mindfulness, what comes across to me from what you're describing, David, is planfulness. And I notice yeah. the, the way you describe these practical tips, which, as always, you make it seem deceptively more simple than it might be, but that makes it kind of doable. You're talking about using your frontal lobes in a doable way, planfulness, and that's, that's something so helpful when we look at these issues, like not just dealing with social media or other distractions, but how we keep our mind focused. I think the, the point that you make about, about being yeah, so intentional and being planful and, and I suppose just to, uh, just to sum things up from my own perspective, I, I think it's been such a good time to talk to you for us, David, because like for me, you know, in lockdown anyway, like I suppose in, in many ways I lost the architecture to my day. In, in some ways and and I, I think we all experienced that a little bit with a lack of our normal routines and it you know it was exhausting at times to feel that we had to you know do that almost starting from scratch again every day but there's one thing that I'm picking up from what you're saying today if we can almost build these little frameworks for ourselves whether it be through a morning ritual or an evening ritual uh, then that's going to go a long way to to making those small incremental changes, which, as we spoke about last week, build up over time and and allow us to make those bigger changes in our life without, I suppose, the turmoil of of fighting ourselves or, or feeling that we're unable to do it. So, look, thank you. Is it time to finish? Yeah, look, I, we we don't want to take up any more of your time. That's no, right. No, it's been, fantastic. So, but you've been you know, so generous. Say, I, I'm not I'm not rushing away, but you know, you've probably got other things to do. And, um, yeah. Well, look, I will I, just say before we, we do, before we do finish up in that, and I will give you, of course, an opportunity to add anything else. But uh, but I do want to mention your newsletter as well again, David. We spoke about it at the end of last week's podcast. But davidcherry.com.au forward slash newsletter. Uh, it's one that I'd recommend everyone to subscribe to because it's it's not overly time consuming, but it's something that you know gives me value every month, and I, I've learned a lot from it. And I often think back to the little concepts and stories that appear in that. So thank. Thank you. Okay, yes, thanks for doing that, Ryan. I really appreciate that. Yes, and David, you do a lot of training through the country with health and welfare and many other workers and people in many areas of life, and, and many people have benefited from your practical wisdom as we have today. So thank you very much for joining us. Okay, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate you asking me to do this. Thank you.